Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. We, uh, that is a, it is just going to be a big, a big day, a fun day that will require a little bit of uh, scene resetting. Now, I uh, promise we didn't do this on purpose. We tr- actually tried to give this particular Distinguished Service Award out earlier, but it just didn't, it didn't work out. And so we, we put it on this particular day, the day that we are going to work through the story, the very familiar story of Zacchaeus. So what better day to give a Distinguished Service Award to one of my very favorite people, a tireless worker behind the scenes. What better day to give out a Distinguished Service Award to Jack Johnson. So, Jack, <laughs> come on up, Jack, if you would. Yes. Come on up here, buddy. Watch this, you guys. Jack, here's the thing. Um, in, a, in, a, in a place our size, with as many different things as we try to do and as many different things as we try to do on a Sunday, it requires the work of folks that you may never know are actually working behind the scenes. So before any of you get here, all those traffic cones are put up because <laughs> Jack keeps us in good uh, relationship with the folks next door who hate when we park in their spots over there. So Jack works on that. And then all of the offering plates are put out. And then all of the friendship folders are put out. And the bulletins are put out. In other words, Jack works for well more than an hour to make sure that church is ready for you. For you. And a behind-the-scenes kind of person... And we have, uh, we wanted to make sure that Jack's family could be here. So all of Jack's family, if you guys could go ahead and come on up too, because we have a couple of great pictures. This is going to make for some great pictures. So come on up here, everybody. <laughs> now, Steve could not be here today, but Claire is here and Cinnamon is here. Aunt Milty is here. Look, there's Wes and there's Scott. Man, we have such a long, long, incredibly good history with this great family. And these are going to be some fantastic pictures on the day that we work through the story of Zacchaeus. Amen. You saying that, Mr. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that. He just said, are you, are you saying I'm a sinner? No, I'm saying you're, you're absolutely tall is what I'm saying to you. For the first several uh, years that uh, Jack and I were kind of working together here, Jack referred to me as shrimp. And there's not very many people that can get away with it, but he can. That works. So good. Good to see everybody. In fact, let's have everybody come a little bit farther this way because you're kind of off into the, we get you all into the light so you can see how pretty everybody is. All right. So Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene takes pleasure in presenting this certificate to Jack Johnson. For your faithfulness to Christ and to OKC First by consistently working behind the scenes each and every Sunday morning, setting the table for our congregation to worship. Jack, this is just, and then after this, after you do all of that stuff, typically you and I meet back there and we sip coffee and figure out the world along with Lee Nichols and folks like that back there. So I, I, enjoy, I enjoy working with you each and every Sunday, and I just want you to know it doesn't go unnoticed. We notice that you do what you do 
We're grateful for all that you do. We're grateful for the ways that you have raised such a strong family. And thank you for your service to Christ and to our church. As, as, go ahead, guys, and find your seats. Thank you very much. And perfectly within character, I said, Jack, would you like to say anything? He says, no, behind the scenes, people don't say things. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Thanks again, everybody. And, and you're going to see, we're going to do at least one more of these and probably should do a couple of others because, frankly, um, this is what we're supposed to do. I think, I think saying thank you is a good practice, right? Saying thank you and, and acknowledging the service of folks who served so beautifully and so well, like Jack Johnson, and like Kent Neighbors, who came to me a while back and said, you know, this story about Zacchaeus, it really lends itself to flannel graph. Amen. Yeah, it does. So if you are new to faith, then one of the things that you have missed is flannel graph. Um, because, yeah, amen. All right. Because if you were raised in the church, you can feel your heart pounding even right now. Flannel graph is the way God speaks to children, amen? That's the way this works, yeah. And uh, the thing is, I, I think, if you're anything like me, you can still remember some of these Bible stories come to life, you can still kind of conceptualize them based on the work that somebody did to do the flannel graph thing in front of you. That is still the case for me. So we thought, in addition to what you're going to see on the slides, we want to make sure that you realize that this story about Jesus and Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus is that story that you all have heard about, that you all have seen play out on flannel graph, on flannel graph boards around the globe uh, for so many years. And this is really important. They get it right in the flannel graph story. All right, I want to say that again because that's why we're doing all this. This is the point we're making, okay? That flannel graph story, what you heard in Children's Church, they get it right. Now, somehow, I think we have a way of taming this story and negotiating it away a little bit over time. But I want to tell you, we're going to tell it again using flannel graph so that you get this deep, distinct, correct impression that what you heard in Sunday school is not only true, it is outrageously true outrageously true, it lays claim to our minds and our imaginations, and we're going to hear it and we're going to see it all today. But before we get to this, we have to back up a little bit where the timeline is concerned. Because Jericho, the, Jesus, the town that Jesus is about to walk through now, this is not the first time we have heard of Jericho. In fact, if you'll remember, this is last week's, um, Jason, we need to get... Uh, this week's, and it's my fault because I put it up there really late because just a little bit of a look behind the curtain, sometimes the pastor changes his mind last second and does things a little differently, which happened even today. But Jericho, we've heard before. We've heard of this place before, all the way back in the book of Joshua. You remember this, right? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and what happens to the walls? Yep, they come tumbling down. But at the close of that little encounter, between Joshua and the people of God and the people who have now been wiped out, who lived in 
the city of Jericho. At the close of that encounter, Joshua says something incredible, and it goes something like this. If anybody ever rebuilds this city, may they be cursed. <laughs> if anybody ever rebuilds this city, may they be cursed. In fact, would you go ahead and advance me? Here we go. Cursed before the Lord be anyone who tries to build this city, this Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. And at the cost of his youngest, he shall set up its gates. Because Jericho, according to Joshua, is cursed. Jericho is cursed. By the way, the name Joshua actually means God saves. Now, if you remember in this particular story, God does save, God does save Rahab. Rahab was the city prostitute. <laughs> but Rahab gave some shelter and some comfort to some of the spies sent from Joshua. And so, knowing that there is, in, there is impending doom for this entire city, Rahab does what she needs to do and is salvaged, is saved. Oh, I don't like the way the word saved is used there, but in fact, Rahab is saved. And Joshua's name means God saves. Now we're headed back to Jericho. Somebody's rebuilt it, apparently at the cost of their oldest and their youngest, but somebody's rebuilt it. And it still seems to be a place where people struggle to believe and, and people perhaps are still cursed there and Jesus is going there anyway. Isn't that like Jesus? Jesus does not seem to be intimidated by curses. <laughs> and so Jesus is headed toward Jericho. And if you'll remember, on the way to Jericho, there are a couple of scenes and we've already talked about one of them when he heals the blind man outside of the city gates. The blind man saying, son of God, son of God, have mercy on me, and he heals him. But he also has another very important conversation on the way to Jericho with a rich man. Does it seem like Luke has it out for wealthy people? Yeah, it does. I mean, it starts early. I mean, in Luke chapter one, in Mary's song, the Magnificat, Mary goes out of her way to say, God will knock down the wealthy and restore the fortunes of the poor. Man. And as you travel through the book of Luke, you have all these different stories. You have the story about, um, Jesus just says outright, Pharisees loved their money so they couldn't get the truth. Then you have this different parable about the, the wealthy man and then Lazarus. Remember that? They both die. One is with Abraham and the other one is not. The wealthy man is not with Abraham, and he still sees Lazarus as a sort of a, an errand boy. So he still doesn't get it. Even in eternity, he doesn't get it. Man, Luke is hard on wealthy people. Turns out Jesus is hard on wealthy people too. Look at this conversation. So he stops with this, stops and, and has this discussion with this wealthy young man. You remember this? And the young man says, uh, sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He replied, did the young wealthy man. I have kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, there is one thing still lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Like we said earlier today, we do not live in a world 
where there is only one God, one principality and power. There are other principalities and powers, and Jesus has this uncanny ability to reach out and touch you at the very place where another principality or power is scratching you or clutching you or laying hold of you. Jesus does this to that young man and said, okay, here's the one thing that you're going to have to do to finally loose the chains that keep you in bondage, that keep you in captivity, to free you up, to follow me, get rid of everything. Get rid of everything. But when he heard this, the young man became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now again, when the terminology kingdom of God is used here, we're not talking about heaven after you die. We're talking about the realm of life understood as the kingdom of God where God is king. Make sense? How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. If you sow, you know that these sowing needles have very small eyes. If you've ever seen a camel, you know that camels are very big. This seems very hard to thread a needle with a camel. That seems super hard. It's easier, though, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? This is key. This is key because this is the question that we're going to work through the entirety of the rest of the sermon. Who can be saved? And this answer is also key. Hear this. What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Okay, and now we enter into the world of the flannel graphs. And my trusty helper today, the lovely Kent Neighbors. How about a, a hand for Kent Neighbors today? So he entered Jericho and was passing through it. Now, you should know this, and I'm going to do a little bit of uh, commentary as we go here. He is going to enter Jericho and then pass through it, and the next stop is going to be Jerusalem, and things aren't going to go super well for Jesus. And Jesus knows that this is the last stop before the last stop. So what happens here is super important, especially when you understand it taking place against the backdrop of what's coming in Jerusalem. So he's just passing through it, and a man was there named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, as you can tell by his fine outfit here. <laughs> now, a couple things. Uh, he's not just a tax collector, he's chief tax collector. And here's kind of what that means. He is the boss of all of the loan sharks. So he collects money from those who collect money, and it looks like, when using the terminology of rich here, when, when the New Testament, when the book of Luke uses this word that is used many times, it's not just rich, it's rich having been uh, gained, it's, it's riches having been gained on the backs of other people. That's what this word means here. So he's not just rich, he is rich in a, in a debilitating sort of way, at least where other people are concerned. He's rich in an evil sort of way. He's rich in a way 
that allows the people to see as the money flows out of their accounts, they see Zacchaeus dressing better, hello, and eating better all the time. And so they hate him. Here's another thing. He seems to have been Jewish. He seems to have been Jewish. So it's not that he was one of the Roman occupiers. It's worse than that. He's a traitor who works for the Roman occupiers, and he's making it really hard on everybody else, as you can now see on the flannel graph, right? He was trying to see, this Zacchaeus was, who, who, trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, that's so good, kid, that is so good. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you are in podcast land, I don't know what we can do, but this is just so good. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short. I don't know if you know this, but when there's a crowd, short people can't see as well. Jack, am I right about this? Yes. He was short, but he was curious. Now, we can assume that word travels, because I don't know if you know this, but words travel amongst religious people especially. Amen. Amen. So I think probably word has traveled, and perhaps both ways. Not only has Zacchaeus heard of this Jesus character, but there's all kinds of indication that Jesus has heard of this Zacchaeus character. Zacchaeus, being curious as he is, says to himself, I need to get a look at this guy. I've heard so much about him, but as I am short in stature, I can't see because of the crowds, whatever will I do? So verse four, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. I'm going to move all of this so that make sure that you all can see. You don't come all the way from North Carolina not to be able to see the flannel graph, amen. So sycamore trees notoriously, oh amen, that is beautiful. Oh, how good is that? Love it. Sycamore trees were notorious for their bad-tasting figs, by the way, kind of like poor man's figs, not very good. But they also had very strong, large, low branches, so trees that were easy to climb. And so Zacchaeus, enterprising as he is, decides, I'll get a look at this Jesus character by climbing this sycamore tree. Now here's and his plan works to perfection. When Jesus came to the place, now guys, this is where it starts to get outrageous. And while your flannel graph was right, maybe you don't remember the ultimate truth, which is in fact outrageous. First of all, before we get to this particular uh, slide's worth of scripture, let's, let's remind one another of a couple of things. Zacchaeus is an enemy and considered unclean because he was a bad guy. And good folks know, this is a dramatic oversimplification of ancient Hebrew faith, but hear it, I still think we can smell it, I still think we can feel it today. Good folks know that in order to stay good folks, good folks have to avoid bad folks. Right? I mean, we even fortify this thought with um, 
words and phrases from this vat of common sense wisdom, and sometimes we even think they're in Scripture, but birds of a feather is not actually in the Bible. <laughs> but we'll say things like birds of a feather. So as to reinforce this Christian belief that what Christians do is wall off bad people. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to separate myself from you because you don't act like me. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to separate myself from you and my own from you because you aren't like me. You don't do like me. You don't think like me. Your opinions don't look like mine. And since you are the other, I'm going to wall you off and make sure that I can keep a nice and pure separation between me and you. God be praised in the name of Jesus. Amen. And then there's Zacchaeus. And then there's the Bible. And then there's Jesus. So Zacchaeus has climbed up in this tree. And by the way, the pure weren't even supposed to talk to the impure. And I don't mean to step on toes, but some of you are still really good at being the pure that don't talk to the impure. And while that may be religious, that's not Christian. Because what Jesus does, Jesus came to the place. Oh, I can't wait to see how you're going to do this. And he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. And I love this. Jesus says, for I must, I must stay at your house today. Are you catching this? Jesus says, as a function of being me, as a function of being the Messiah, far from building walls between the pure and the impure, as a function of being me, Jesus says, I must, because I'm me, I come to you. Because I'm me, says Jesus, I come to you. All right, pause button. The book of Luke and the book of Acts are two volumes of the same set. It's part A and part B. Two volumes of the same set. Luke is continued in Acts. What you see Jesus doing in the book of Acts, you see the body of Christ doing, I'm sorry, what you see Jesus doing in the book of Luke, you see the body of Christ doing in the book of Acts. You're supposed to read it like that. Now, for some reason, we put John right in the middle and it really messes up the way we think. But what, they're supposed to be connected. What you see Jesus doing, saying, being in the book of Luke as the Christ you're supposed to see the body of Christ doing, saying, being in the book of Acts and in 2016 in Oklahoma City. And Jesus says in Luke, and it upsets a few people, and the body of Christ says in Acts, and it still upsets a few people, and the church that meets at 4400 Northwest Expressway says today, I must be with you. Oh, you guys, because that's who Jesus is. I must stay at your house today. All right, ready? Here we go. It gets better. So he hurried down and was happy, strangely enough, because you think Zacchaeus didn't know that he was excluded? Yeah. The excluded know they're excluded. The excluded by those inside the walls 
know that they are excluded, excluded by those inside the walls. So when the guy who's running the whole thing says, I must, as a function of who I am, I must be at your house, you think Zacchaeus didn't come down from that tree pretty quickly? He did. Not only that, grace changes him in a way that threats do not. But it was not a popular decision. All who saw it began to grumble. We've seen grumbling before. And they said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Okay, we've, we've seen this grumbling before. In fact, we've seen it in the Old Testament. The people of God who have just been rescued out from underneath Pharaoh's thumb, they grumble while they're out there getting food and water. They grumble. They grumble. But we've seen it earlier in the book of Luke, too. Jesus apparently is at this giant dinner party, and he has made room for the outcast. He's made room for the excluded. Jesus has made room for those excluded by the religious establishment, and when he does, somebody guess who grumbles? Yep, religious folks grumble. And in response, Jesus tells three powerful parables. You must not forget, you must not tell these parables unless you remember the backdrop against which these parables are told and the backdrop of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. The backdrop is religious people grumbling that folks are included that shouldn't be included because they're dirty. And in response to religion, Jesus says, let me tell you some stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and there's celebration at the conclusion of every one of those stories. And the question, if you'll remember, that Christ asked Christ's church goes something like this. Are you celebrating well? Are you celebrating at the right times? Are you going to the right parties? Because these are the celebrations undertaken by the people of God when the lost are found. Our religious people are grumbling again. And we even are told why. It's because Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. Because in their minds, good faith means that we wall off and we exclude and we demean and we identify sin when we see it. Zacchaeus when we see it. Not only are you ugly, but you're short. Not only have you stolen money for us, but you're, but you're short. It's like God has cursed you several times. Whoa, 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 Jesus, you, do you know what you're doing? You don't, do not go in, Jesus. Grumble, 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 grumble. And this is what, this is what the, the grumbling sounds like, actually. I think Jesus actually likes that guy. I'm starting to believe that Jesus cares about Zacchaeus. Apparently, apparently Jesus does not know Zacchaeus like we do. Grumble, grumble, grumble. So to, to enter into the dwelling of Zacchaeus is to put Jesus' reputation at stake amongst the religious. To sit at a table and be hosted by Zacchaeus is to violate some of the central tenets of old religiosity that says, 
You separate yourself from impurity because a little bit of impurity can ruin a whole lot of purity. All right, hear, hear this. That's the way our religious math goes these days. Are you hearing me? A little bit of impurity can mess up a whole bunch of purity. Again, again, we fortify this with things like birds of a feather. That's religious math. It's not Christ's math. Christ's math is a little bit of purity overcomes a whole lot of impurity. Mm, that wasn't good enough. We're opening the church on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. We're opening the sanctuary and, and making this place as, as hospitable as we know how for the folks who know us intimately and know us very well who vote here or who don't vote here and just want to come and pray. We're also making the building and the space available for folks who don't know us very well. Because, I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of people who are seriously frightened about this election. Legitimately frightened. What if the body of Christ was deeply convinced that the touch of Christ, the pure touch of Christ, was powerful enough to overcome? What if we didn't hide behind our walls? What if we just rehearsed behind these walls and then went out of here, take this the right way, just went out of here touching everything that we could? The religious folks grumbled because they didn't have enough confidence in the power of the touch of Christ. Religious folks still grumble if they don't have enough confidence in the power of the touch of Christ. These were powerful flannel graphs, weren't they? You didn't know that was all in there, did you? But it is. It is. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, he probably got up on something, and then he said to the Lord. <laughs> See, there you go, there you go. Now he goes, climbed up on the table and then said to the Lord. <laughs> Your love has changed me. Your unexpected, undeserved grace has changed me. Isn't that what you read? I mean, this is a man who had built an incredible portfolio, but also a reputation on his capacity to steal from, to take from, to leverage people, and to gather wealth. Why would he stop doing that, especially when he was being regularly excluded? At least he could find some comfort in the heaping mountain of money that he was keeping, and also in his good clothes, and also in this nice food. He's got to find some comfort somewhere. He wasn't finding it in friendship. He didn't have to tell Zacchaeus he was a bad guy. Jesus had to tell him that he loved him. 
And in response, Zacchaeus says, I love you too, because look, (laughs) half of my possessions, Lord. Now contrast this with the rich young ruler. Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and he had, he knew it, that's why he said it, (laughs) I will pay back four times as much. Four times? That's a lot. In fact, it's actually beyond what the ancient Hebrew code was. If you wrong somebody, if you wrong somebody in a financial sort of way, you were supposed to give them that money back and also give them more money back to demonstrate that you were one of the in crowd, to demonstrate that you got it, that you understood what it meant to be the people of God. And what Zacchaeus is proposing here is beyond even that. Now, why the change? Well, the change is probably because Jesus said, I am going to beat you until you decide that this is the way to go. Or perhaps because Jesus said, I'm going to threaten you. What what was going to Jesus threaten him with beyond what he'd already suffered at the hands of the religious? No, what Jesus did was (laughs) eat with him, enter into his territory, Accept him. Who then can be saved? Anybody who will listen as Jesus pounds on the door. Who then can be saved? <laughs> well, with mortals, it's, it's a tough deal. But with Christ pounding on your door, if you'll open the door, no matter how much you have in your bank account, if you'll just open the door, you can be saved. Because Jesus is really good at threading needles with camels. That was better than you gave it credit for. Okay, let's go on. Verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, wow, that's so good. Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham, For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost church. I would remind you that what you see Jesus doing in Luke, you see the body of Christ doing in Acts. And what you see the body of Christ doing in Acts is supposed to be instructive for the body of Christ that meets at 4400 Northwest Expressway in 2016. For what the Son of Man came to do is to seek out and to save the lost. What the body of Christ exists exists to do is to seek out and save the lost. And what we exist to do is not to make sure that we're all here next week week. I want you to be here next week, but that is not our primary purpose or goal. It is to seek out and to save the lost. How will we do that? Like Jesus does. How's that? By going where everyone else is and by believing in the touch of grace that can transform in ways like fear and threat cannot. I love this. Jesus' name probably was not pronounced Jesus, his neck of the woods. It probably was something more like Yeshua, which, by the way, is another way to say Joshua. So 
So whereas we see in the book of Joshua, Joshua saving in very specific sorts of ways. <laughs> now the new Joshua saves in a better sort of way. And why would we ever expect anything different when a name which is supposed to capture his essence, when the name of Jesus literally means God saves. And now we know how. In other words, what's being said here is Jesus welcomes the excluded. Jesus welcomes the outsider. And yes, we're talking about a woman bent double. Thank you, Kent. Hasn't Kent done a great job with this today? I told him. <laughs> and thank you, Lisa, and, and I don't, whoever helped. Did you help too? Okay, thank you, Christina, for helping us with this. And I told him, I said, now the real threat in this is that I'll be asked for it every week now. And uh, it's going to be tougher in some passages than others. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Ah. So what do we do with this? I really want us to plug back into the truth of what we heard so long ago. When these really good Sunday school teachers and children's pastors were saying something like this to us, everyone's invited and everyone's included. Look, you can see the evidence by looking at Jesus. And so yes, the woman bent double, she's included. The sinners. They're included. The tax collectors, they're included. And although the book of Luke has been so hard on the wealthy, what's being said here really loud is, and the wealthy are included, just answer the door when Jesus knocks. In other words, with God, all of us can be saved. With God, all of us can be saved. Your enemies and opposites can be saved, and you and I can be saved. Not so much because you're good, but because God's good. And when you finally open that door, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. When you finally open that door and enjoy that meal, then I think like Zacchaeus, you start to understand how transformation can work. And my own life is a testimony that real transformation happens when the first step in that dance is undeserved grace then real transformation happens as I respond in gratitude, this embarrassed sort of gratitude that the God who knows me, like really knows me, still chooses me. That's when transformation happens. You know what I pray for us as we close? I pray that we are like Jesus. All of us, Certainly, but each of us. Is that okay? 
I don't, I don't know what prayer that you're praying for us as a church. I don't know what prayer you're praying for yourself as a believer or for your pastor. But if you're praying something other than this, would you please switch it to this? God, make us like Jesus. God, make my pastor more like Jesus. God, make us as a body more like Jesus. God, make my enemies <laughs> more like Jesus. And as soon as you pray it, make sure that you punctuate that prayer with and make sure, Lord, that you're moving me toward Christ-likeness too. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Part of the reason we do this every week is so that you can feel at least to some extent what it is that Zacchaeus must have felt when he was invited to come to the table and sit with Jesus. Because church, you're invited to come to the table and sit with Jesus again today. If you're helping, would you come help us to set this table and prepare this table? Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements, and God, give us some chance today to appreciate how hard Zacchaeus' heart must have pounded. The moment when Jesus spotted him in that tree and invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house, give us some idea of what it must have been like for Zacchaeus, whose household showed all the evidence of ill-gotten gain, whose clothes and whose fine foods were representative of all that Zacchaeus had done to defraud and to steal and to take from folks around him. But we have some idea of what it was that Zacchaeus must have felt, Zacchaeus knowing how deeply hated he was by all folks and, and folks in particular from this particular religious establishment. May we know what it was that Zacchaeus must have felt when Christ, rather than hating him, welcomed him, reached for him. May we find ourselves having something in common with Zacchaeus today. In that, Lord, we recognize that you are headed for us. In the best sorts of ways, Lord, you are headed for us in our doors. And God, may we each, and God, may we all have the grace courage and the humility to say yes and to imagine that each of us and all of us and all of those who for us fall into the categories of enemies and opposites give us the imagination to see how it is that you would save all of us. In a moment I'm going to ask you to stand Exit your pew to the left. Come forward with your hands cupped to receive this bit of bread. This is you sliding up to the table. You're going to receive a bit of bread pressed into your hands, and someone will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Welcome to the meal. But don't eat it just yet. Instead, Dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding the cup. When you do, that person will say to you, this is the blood of Christ. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. 
All kinds of places to pray here today. You may want to pray at these side padded altars. If you do, we will assume that you are here for a prayer for healing, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, theological, relational healing. And someone will meet you at that side padded altar and anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for healing that we believe so deeply. Or you may want to pray at one of these front benches. We will not assume what you're praying about if you come to these benches. We will just make sure that you know that you're not alone as you pray that prayer. But here's a good one. Here's a good one. In that, Jesus is headed to every heart's door. And perhaps again. And perhaps again and again. Here's a pretty good prayer to pray here. Yes, come on in. Yes. Yes, Jesus, I know that you know who I am and why I am who I am. And yet you're here standing in front of me anyway. So my prayer is yes. Yes, come on in. Or you can circle back around and pray right there where you sit. God hears those prayers too. Who is invited to this meal? Everyone, everyone. Everyone who is perhaps painfully aware of the need for grace, you are welcome to this meal no matter who you were as you came in, who you are as you come to the table. You're welcome here. Also, there is this bowl of water right here. If you need the tangible reminder that you are amongst the baptized, this cool water here will do the trick because it will jolt your memory and you'll remember that moment you were baptized and brought into this people of God, now known as the body of Christ, to be who Christ has always been. So just come and dip your fingers here, and then maybe head back to your seat. It's a special trip, but it is a special trip. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, brand new covenant, and every time you drink it, remember me. If you can't come to us and Jason and Katie, headed to you all across the sanctuary now if you would stand to your feet exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive that which can't be gotten any other way the gifts of God for the people of God
you to come and pray, perhaps gather around these who have gathered. Good time to come and make your way to do that now. I'm going to lead us in a guided prayer, leaving all kinds of room for you to pray. And then we will have prayers of intercession, and we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we confess that we have it in us to grumble. So our first prayer would go something like this, and please, church, pray it with me. Please pray it, pray it with me. Heal us of our grumbling. we also confess that we have it in us to forget where faith starts 
we have it in us to forget that all that we are, we are because of grace. We talked about it last week. So God, remind us now, and perhaps this is something else that you can pray now. Please pray this prayer. God, remind me that my faith actually starts with your choice for me. Remind me, Lord, of my chosenness. do restore us restore to us the capacity not just to be grateful but to be humbled by your grace restore to us that perspective that point of view that allows us to see your love and your choice where we're concerned on full display even as our lives our minds our hearts are on full display to you And God, while you are reminding us of our chosenness, God, would you now remind us of the chosenness of our enemies and our opposites? Church, please pray that. God, remind me of the chosenness of my enemies and my opposites. pray for your church that we would be the body of Christ someone who was sick or hurt, isolated, afraid, this is a good time to pray that prayer for healing. Pray for someone you know to be in need of this prayer for healing, healing of all different sorts and kinds, but pray that prayer now. Father, continue to teach us to pray. Teach us to pray better and better prayers all the time. Teach us to pray and mean this prayer that Christ taught his disciples to pray. So we will pray it today as we close using the language of debts and debtors. The words are on the screen if the prayer is unfamiliar to you. And I would remind you that we are going to stubbornly pray this prayer every week until we believe it. 
So let's pray it together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.